bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York. It's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who cut his amazing junior career short to jump to pro hockey in the World Hockey Association when he signed an underage free agent contract with the Birmingham Bulls for the 1978-1979 season. He scored 26 goals, had 59 points in his only WHA campaign. Stats that were impressive enough to catch the eyes of the Vancouver Canucks, who selected him fifth overall in the 1979 entry draft. After 47 games with the Canucks, he was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he'd become the storied franchise's first 50-goal scorer. He is a three-time All-Star. He is in the NHL's all-time top 20 in career for goals per game, averaging more than a half a goal per game, and is in the top 100 of goal scorers of all time in the NHL with 441. It is a thrill to welcome the man whose number 22 jersey should be hanging in the rafters for the Maple Leafs, Rick Vive, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Rick. How's it going? It's going great. You know, let's start right there, because you look at what you accomplished with the Maple Leafs. You're fifth in goals all time, 299, 10th in points, 537. First player for that franchise to ever score 50 goals for the franchise. To me, that's a a no-brainer. Why don't you think the Leafs have retired your number yet? Uh, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, <laughs> and I, I honestly don't have the answer. Uh, I mean, I don't make those decisions, uh, obviously. Um, I, you know, I, I think perhaps if you look at the numbers and the, the, the time I spent there and, and what I did while I was there, I think it, it probably is warranted to have it done. But, um, you know, perhaps it'll happen and uh, maybe in, in the next year or two and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I you know, I, like I say, I think if you look at the, the numbers, the amount of games and the amount of goals per game and so on, uh, and being the first player to ever score 50 in a season, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's warranted. But again, I don't make those decisions and, uh, you know, so it's not my call. So, so let's go back to the very beginning of your career. You're playing for the Sherbrooke Beavers in the Quebec Major Junior League when John Bassett approaches you. How did that come about, and what went into your choice to leave juniors and join the WHA? Well, actually what happened was uh, Bill Waters, who was working for Al Eagleson at the time, and uh, I guess Mr. Bassett approached uh, him and, and – talked about getting six of us to come down there, which ended up happening. But, um, you know, I had another year of junior left and I, I, you know, the, the crazy part about this is that I probably would have made more money staying in junior than I, than I did in Birmingham. Um, cause the Canadian dollar was, uh, stronger than the American dollar at the time. And they were going to pay me under the table to stay. Uh, but, that wasn't the point. Uh, you know, I kept telling the general manager there, I said, it's not about the money. I said, it's about me get becoming a, a better player. And I thought that playing against men and, and pros was probably the way to go in order for me to get better. So it just came down to that. And that was, uh, 
my decision was based solely on that. It had nothing to do with money because uh, I, I would have made more probably had I stayed in junior. You know, it's also interesting because you mentioned the bunch of young guys that went over there. So you have Michelle Goulet, Pat Riggin, Craig Hartsburg, Rob Ramage, you, as well as two fairly notable guys, one Dave Hansen, who already had been in the movie Slapshot, and Paul Henderson, known for one of Canada's most famous goals, and one of the legendary tough guys in hockey, John Brophy, is the coach. What was that WHA experience like for you as a 19-year-old who ended up leading that team in scoring? Well, I'll be honest with you. It was kind of, it, it was a little bit difficult because uh, we we had, you know, we had the six young guys and, and then pretty much the rest of the team were all guys that were late twenties or in their thirties. And so it was kind of a, a big adjustment for us, but at the same time, we kind of kept to ourselves. We all lived in the same apartment complex so we kind of hung out together, drove together, and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, going into the room and, and you're getting ready for a game and you see two of the older guys playing backgammon for money, <laughs> like an hour an hour before, or, or half an hour, an hour before the warm-up, and you're thinking, what the heck is going on here? Like, this is, this is wrong. Like, they shouldn't be doing this. But, you know, you're 19 years old. You're not going to say anything, and... Uh, it, it was kind of weird, but, you know, but I really enjoyed the, the season. And, and like I said, we had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, we didn't make the playoffs, but uh, it, I think it certainly got me more prepared to play in the National Hockey League than, it, than if I had a state in Sherbrooke. So it's also interesting. It's also where you get one of the most unique hockey nicknames ever. Tell us how you became known as the Squid. Well, that's John, um, John Brophy, and John is from Antigonish, Nova Scotia, and of course I grew up in PEI. And uh, uh, anyway, we're we're practicing one day, and we're doing power play at one end, and then whoever's not on that unit is down at the other end shooting or and doing some drills. So I'm at the other end, and it's our unit's turn to come down and do the the power play, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, squid, squid. And of course, they all call, called me spud because I'm from PEI and the potatoes and everything. So anyway, Hartsburg standing beside him. He said, who are you calling? And he said, vibe. He said, oh, you mean spud. He said, squid, spud, I don't give an F what you call him. Just get him down here. So <laughs> Hartsy skates down, gets me. So I go down, we do it, and then the next year in Vancouver, nobody called me Squid. It was just RV and uh, or Rick or whatever. And then I get traded to Toronto. We're playing Minnesota, uh, and we're in the warm up. And I'm talking to Hartsburg by the by the red line. Uh, Dave Burroughs is standing beside me, and he comes over. Hartsy says, "Hey, Squid, how's it going?" And, Burroughs looks at it and he goes, Squid? <laughs> so then so then he obviously spread it around to everybody on the team and it stuck. And it's I mean, that was in uh, nineteen eighty and it's been squid ever since. Unbelievable. It's kinda it's amazing that it has stuck that that long. Yeah. It's a great nickname. So the WHA <laughs> merges with the NHL. The underage players become available for the nineteen seventy nine NHL entry draft, August 9th, nineteen seventy nine. 
Your season in the WHA obviously gets you noticed. Uh, the Canucks pick you with the sixth overall pick. I'm just wondering, since you had already played a year of professional hockey against some of you know former NHL greats that had made the jump, and you know as you said, you felt the WHA would further your game had you in, stayed in juniors. This would make a better uh, player out of you. Was there the same excitement? Do you think for draft day had it not had you not played in the WHA? What was draft day like for you because you had already been a professional? Well. It was actually weird because the, the because of the merger and everything. Our draft that year was in August, and it was a it was a phone draft. So, like I was in PEI just waiting for the phone call, and uh, I thought Washington was going to take me fourth because they were the only team that spoke to me and uh, interviewed me over the phone. And then I end up going fifth to Vancouver. So I'm sitting there waiting for the phone call. Like everybody else, there was no going to the uh, hotel uh, in Montreal or going to an arena like you see now. Um, and then I'll, I get the phone call and it's Vancouver. And I was a little bit disappointed uh, originally, but then I thought, you know, well, hey, it's a national hockey league. And, you, you know, be happy that you got drafted that you know, that high. And, and so I did, I, I just changed my, my thoughts around and, and went to Vancouver and obviously it didn't work out very well in Vancouver. Uh, but after that, I think it, uh, when I got traded at Toronto, that was, I think that's the best thing that ever happened to me. So when you say it didn't work out in Vancouver, it's surprising. I mean, obviously they were so interested. They, they used a first round draft pick for you. You only play there 47 games, but you had 13 goals. Why do you think they, they kind of gave – I mean, you're 19, 20 years old at that point. Why do you think they gave up on you so quickly? Well, I think – well, Harry Neal was a coach, and uh, he kind of uh, took over from Jake Milford as a general manager as well because Jake was was sick at the time. He was in the hospital. And, uh, you know, Harry I, – I, I think it started in, in exhibition when we were playing LA and I can't remember the, uh, the guy's name. He was one of their tough guys. We were up three or four goals and he wanted to fight me. And I said, well, why am I, why would I fight you? Because we're up three or four goals. Why would I give you a chance to change the momentum of the game? And so I didn't fight him. And then I think that bothered Harry and Harry kind of, you know, from there, then he said I was out of shape and everything. Said he beat me in the 5K run that we had in training camp, which is bullshit because I don't think Harry could even walk five kilometers back then, <laughs> let alone let alone run and beat me. But um, so anyway, it, it it got worse. And then, the, you know, the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the press box and I'm not even playing. I mean, I didn't even, I think, I don't even think I played the last, probably 15 games that I was in Vancouver. And uh, then the big trade happened. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I'm playing probably 20, 20, 23, 24 minutes a game and, and uh, playing with the best players. And everything started to kind of come together. Absolutely. And it's interesting also because the Leafs at that time are owned by Harold Ballard who is one of the most detested owners in NHL history. Did you have much interaction with him? And for someone that was around the team, is he, was he as bad as, you know, history makes him out to be as an owner? 
Um, yeah, I would say as an owner, he probably was. I mean, as a person, uh, until he got senile, which, you know, probably in around 87, 88, in around there, he started to get really grumpy and, and uh, you know, he wasn't a fun guy to be around. But, but he was in the room all the time. He treated the players pretty good. The only thing he didn't do was didn't pay us what we should have been paid probably. He was cheap. He didn't pay for a good general manager. He did, and, then, and then he wouldn't pay for a good coach. So, you know, we didn't have the, the guy that could make that deal at the deadline to get us over the hump. We didn't have coaching staffs that had good systems that they could put into place because we had good players and we drafted pretty good, but a lot of mistakes were made. And that was due largely in part because Harold wouldn't pay to have good people running the organization. So you mentioned that it was probably the best thing for you being traded to the Leafs. You come into your own in your first full season, you start and you put up seven straight seasons of 30 or more goals, including three 50 or more goal seasons, three state, three straight all-star appearances. How frustrating is it having those career years on teams that rarely made to the playoffs and even very rarely even went around when they did? It was very, very, very tough. I mean, uh, you know, it was very frustrating at times. Um, you know, you you can go out and do a lot of things individually and, you know, score 50 goals, whatever the case might be. And, yeah, I mean, that that's good. But, you know, we play the game to win. And that, that was the thing that was uh, most frustrating out of everything, uh, not just there, but even in Chicago, same thing. Uh, you know, yeah, you put up 43 goals, but you don't, you don't, uh, win. Winning is what you play for. And, and I didn't get the opportunity to get close to that. And that was the most frustrating part about, you know, my entire career really is that I, you know, the good furthest I ever got was the second round. And, uh, when I look back at it, that, that bothers me because, uh, you know, you, you play to win a Stanley Cup, and, and I never really got even close to it. You know, the original six to this day is something extremely special to anyone who follows the game of hockey or plays the game of hockey. The Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, you could equate them to being the New York Yankees and, and maybe the Montreal Canadiens in that same breath. Maybe they're the St. Louis Cardinals. But, um, you know, I have to imagine holding the single-season record for one of the most storied franchises in hockey, as well as being a captain during your time there, has to hold some significance to you. How important are those two things when you look back on your career? Well, I think they're very important. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, as long as the franchise has been around, and of course, when I, in 1982, when I got 50, I mean, I didn't even know uh, that nobody had ever scored 50 goals in a season for Toronto. I I found out when I was around 44 or 45 goals and the press started talking to me and saying, well, you know, what would it be like to be the first player to score 50? I went, really? I said, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, all the great players that played for this franchise over the years and nobody's ever done it. So that was a pretty significant achievement. And, uh, uh, but you know, I love playing in Toronto because I love the pressure. I, that was one of the things that I could handle. Like I handle, I could handle the pressure of playing in a city where the, 
you know, the, the pressure is on. The fans know the game extremely well. And they got a very passionate fan base. And I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I know there's a lot of people that can't handle that. And I think if you don't have thick skin, Toronto, Montreal, probably New York, uh, those are not places where you want to play if you don't have thick skin. And fortunately for me, I did. Yeah, you move on to yet another original six as you traded with Steve Thomas, Bob McGill to the Blackhawks in exchange for Al Secord and Eddie Olchek before the 87 season. You score 43 goals in your first season in Chicago, that under Bob Murdoch. The following season, Mike Keenan's brought in. What were your years with the Blackhawks like? And, you know, people that don't know uh, Coach Brophy but know Mike Keenan kind of equate the two in temperament. Were they similar? Um, you know what, they, they were and they weren't. I mean, uh, John wasn't as, uh, I guess, like he didn't run the bench as quite as good as Mike Keenan was a good coach. Don't get me wrong. Mike Keenan ran the bench extremely well. We were very well prepared. Practices were unbelievable. They were 45, 50 minutes, high tempo, where Broke was a little bit different. Broke didn't really have systems and stuff like that, and our practices weren't quite as good and uh, a lot of bag skates from Broke and, and that sort of thing. Of course, we had that from Mike, too, but Iron Mike, they call him. And, uh, but that, that was frustrating. I loved Chicago, the playing in the stadium and everything. And the first year, everything kind of went pretty good, except, you know, again, we didn't win. And then Mike comes in and... Then all of a sudden, I can't play. I'm not good enough to play. And uh, I remember times where sitting on the bench and, you know, Mike Mike wouldn't even call my name. I, I played mainly just on the power play. I'd go stand in front of the net, get cross-checked and hacked and whacked and, and that sort of thing. Then Mike would kind of just give me a little uh, boot in the, in the rear end and when it was time to go out and go <laughs> on the power play. And I, I don't know why, but... You know, I, I, in Mike's mind, I guess he figured I wasn't good enough to play on that team. I, I don't know where that came from, but uh, at the end of the day, I ended up getting traded. And the worst part about that was I got traded the day after Christmas. And I, my, my in-laws were in town. Uh, you know, my wife was pregnant. Well, I had a two-year-old son already. And then all of a sudden, I got to get a one o'clock flight to Buffalo on the day after Christmas. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> and and then to boot, I get to the airport. There's a huge snowstorm. I don't get out of there until about 7. So I don't make it in time to play the game in Buffalo. And then I don't see my family until February 4th, I think it was, uh, right after the All-Star game uh, or during the All-Star break. And uh, so anyway, I mean, I you know, Mike was a good coach. I, I, I give him 100%. Uh, backing on the fact that he was very well prepared and, and a good coach. He ran the bench well. But his antics and the way he treated people and the things he would say to some of the players in front of his team, in front of your teammates, uh, was, you know, totally wrong. You know, talk about insult to injury. It's it's bad enough you get traded the day after Christmas, but then you find out it's to Buffalo. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's, a dub, that's a double whammy. Um, 
You mentioned your, your son. Your son, Justin, was a fourth-round draft pick in the 2007 NHL entry draft of the Anaheim Ducks. He's played for the LA a- AHL affiliates of both local teams here, the New York Islanders and New York Rangers, currently a member of the Fort Wayne Comets. Comments. Uh, which is more nerve-wracking for you, watching him play or when you used to play? Oh, definitely watching him play. Uh, there's no question. I mean, he's a big man. He's 6'6", 245, and obviously part of his game is playing a, you know, a tough style of game and playing a very, very physical part. Um, so obviously there's fights and stuff like that, but I, I get more nervous watching him, you know, just, to, you know, cause every time there's a collision or a fight or something like I'm holding my breath, just, okay, get out of this without getting hurt and get, or get a bad injury or something like that. So it's a lot tougher watching him than than, uh, than playing the game yourself because I felt that I was always in control of what I was doing, but I don't have any control over what he does. So watching him play is, is a lot tougher. You know, speaking of that, I mean, he was in the Rangers system. He certainly could have been a factor if he was here last week against Tom Wilson for sure. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to make a 53-year drought as they um, – the last cup they won was 1967. They won a very tough division. It looks like, you know, they won a very tough division. They'll take on either the Jets or the Canadians in the first round. Um, they'll also need to get past the Oilers as well before even thinking about who they need to beat out of the West. What are your thoughts on the chances? And on top of that, what has Spezza and Thornton meant to this team this season? Well, I think they've meant a lot. I, I really do. And, and I think... You know, I, I give Kyle Dubas a lot of credit because he went out at the deadline and got some pieces that, that I think Toronto needed. Uh, they got uh, Hutton uh, on defense, who's kind of a guy that, that uh, he's probably not going to play in their top six, but he's there if you need him, and he's a serviceable defenseman. And then Wayne Simmons in the offseason, and they got a couple other guys, uh, Nick Polino which I think was a big, big ad for the Maple Leafs. He, he gives them that other left winger that, that has that grit and, and uh, sandpaper like Hyman who can go in and, and bang and crash and, and turn pucks over for the skill guys to, to be able to score goals and, and make plays. So I, I like your chances. I really do. I, I, and I think bringing in, Thornton, Spezza, I mean, these are guys that have been there for a long time. And especially Joe, who's, you know, he's been to the, the finals, he's been to the semifinals. I mean, I, I'm sure that they've talked to the young guys a whole lot. And I, I, I think the, those guys have really, really helped. And you look at what Kyle brought in at the deadline, and I got to tell you, this team here, uh, I, I mean, I can't see anybody in the Canadian division beating them. Uh, it, it's going to be somebody outside the Canadian division if anybody beats them at all because, I mean, they're, they're a damn good team and they can score goals. The, the only problem is can they play good enough defensive hockey in the playoffs in order to win? And I, I think they've learned over the years and with the older guys coming in, I think that they've taught them that, you know, hey, it all starts in our end and we've got to play better defense in our zone and I think they're a better defensive team now than they they have been in quite some time. And Thornton alone, no matter what you had to give up and whatever you pay him, just for the playoff beard alone is totally worth it. 
your <laughs> your autobiography, Catch Twenty Two: My Battles in Hockey and Life, came out during the height of the pandemic. So a lot of people may not even know it's out there. It's a brutally honest account of your life, warts and all. What made you want to go public and tell some pretty private things in your life and, and go public with it? Well, you know, Scotty and I, Scotty Morrison, who's a good friend of mine, and, and we've known each other since the 80s when he used to be report uh, for the Toronto Sun, I believe it was back then. And uh, we've gotten to know each other really well. And I've always said, and I've told him, I said, if I ever do write a book, you're the guy. I'm not going to write it with anybody else. So anyway, we got talking about it, and then finally we decided to do it. And I said, well, listen, okay, here, here's the plan, Scotty. I said, if we're going to do this, I'm not leaving anything out. I'm going to talk about everything. I'm going to talk about the, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And, you know, that, that was one of the things I wanted people to know because I think, you know, I, I think there's a thing in society today where, where a lot of people look at, you know, players that played in the NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and they think, oh, their lives have been perfect and they're, they're multi-millionaires and, you know, like, look at the life they have. It's unbelievable. I don't think they realize what you go through, not just when you get there and you're playing in, in the league, but to get there. And, and not everybody has a perfect upbringing either. So, I wanted to make sure that people understood that, uh, you know, not everybody's life, even though you played in the NHL for 13 years, is perfect. And, you know, so I wanted to, I wanted to tell my whole life story, and that, that's what we did. It's great stuff. Rick, so much, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, break out my Maple Leafs jersey to wear tonight. We uh, <laughs> truly, you know, we truly appreciate it. We also look forward to your show, uh, along with Mike Wilson, debuting right here on the 365 Sportscast Network, debuting this coming Friday at 6 p.m., so that is going to be a must-listen. You and Mike do a great job, and we're really looking forward to having you aboard here. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait, Mark, and I'm looking forward to it. And I appreciate you having me on, and it was been, it's been fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Great stuff. I'll speak to you soon, Rick. Be good.